Now, introducing the queen of men's health. Welcome to the Ali Gilbert Podcast, where you'll find the premier men's health info delivered to you the only way I know how, truthful and raw, with the occasional boner joke thrown in. If you guys like this episode, subscribe to my YouTube and slide in the DMs on Instagram and join the party. Rick Collins, nice to have you. Good to see you. Thanks so, for having me. When I describe you to people, uh-oh, <laughs> not what Eric describes you as. Okay. What I describe you is the steroid lawyer to all of Earth. Oh, wow. Okay. The global kind of thing. I yes, like it. You're internationally known. I like, well, thank you. Um, Would that yeah. be an appropriate way to Yeah, it's, it's, start. I've had a, yeah, I guess so. That's a good start. <laughs> I mean, I, I have given lectures in Bangkok, Thailand and, and Guangzhou, China and, and all sorts of other sort of exotic, cool places. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that a lot of what I do involves anabolic steroids, as, as you know, it probably handled more steroid, SARMs, peptides, research chemicals, tainted dietary supplements, Mm -hmm. doping in sports, um, use of banned substances in in other drug failure contexts like cops or or firefighters who are tested and, and are shown to have used something that they weren't supposed to have used. So I do a lot of that everywhere, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I love what I do. Uh, I was a, probably a meathead before I was a lawyer, um, competed as a bodybuilder before yeah. I even went to law school. Because you're jacked. You're Thank still you. jacked. Thank you. And I still train super hard. So, um, so yeah, for me, it's, I was able to integrate what, uh, what I was interested in, what I was passionate about, and outside of my career as the law, in, in the law um, with my legal training and, and, uh, experience. I'm the happiest kid on the block. <laughs> I love it. Cause you, you have your CSCS as well, right? I do. So, um, yes, I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist at NSCA. So I've, I've, I've straddled both, you know, both worlds. So the world of the law as, as an attorney, which is primarily what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I co-wrote a men's fitness book called Alpha Male Challenge, yep, which, I have. which is kind of like within our, our topic uh, areas is, for today. Yes. <laughs> um, so yes, I've, I've walked the walk of, of training for, for years. I'm very much into fitness and nutrition. I was a personal trainer. I ran a personal training business for a while. So yes, so the CSCS is very cool. That's so awesome. So I wanted to talk about testosterone replacement initially, because there's a lot of guys watching this who are either on TRT or considering it. Right. And there seems to be so much controversy surrounding it. Whereas with women, when they go into menopause, it's almost like that's the thing. They go on on hormones. It's socially accepted. Nobody bats an eye. If a guy considers testosterone replacement, there seems to be so many social stigmas attached to it. And right now, even some legal uh, things that are in question. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to a man wanting to maybe feel better and just replace what he's not producing. Why do you think all of a sudden this seems like this biggest issue socially? So I think there's the all of a sudden is is part of it. So I, I think we're kind of moving in a direction 
societally where it's it's not as okay to be traditionally masculine and testosterone is is viewed as sort of like the demon syrup that makes men do the bad things that they do yeah um you know this but it's not really new Alan Alda, the the actor from MASH in 1975, did an interview with Ms. Magazine where he blamed testosterone for all the bad things that, that happen. And, and I think it was he was the one who first came up with the term testosterone poisoning. So that the, this, this concept that this hormone that is endogenous, it's in your body, my body, every little baby's body, that that would somehow be the culprit in, in all of these bad things, which kind of became a narrative. And, and I think that there are those people who believe that testosterone is bad, that testosterone is why wars occur, testosterone is why there's all these all the strife in the world, and they blame it. And, and I think that's because it's, it's tied to the idea of aggression in a lot of people's minds, that I think if you ask the average person, does testosterone cause aggressive behavior? What would they say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Roid rage. Right, sure, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Why not? at its highest point, right? But, but even endogenous, even, that even your own testosterone as a man makes you act in certain ways that are aggressive and whatnot. And we've talked about this, and there's a lot of research into that idea of how is testosterone and aggression related. Um, certainly testosterone is about challenges and about improving status that's a large part of what testosterone does mm -hmm. so establishing dominance or or higher levels of ranking in a social hierarchy um, and when you look i guess in the animal world well how do animals improve their status in a ranking how do i if if i'm a chimpanzee how do i go from being like down at the bottom of the of the pack to being closer to the top because and everybody wants to be closer to the top right you're going to get better food more food mm -hmm. more water more mating partners you know all the resources that you want and so the way that you would you know get a better status is you know not a lot of choices for a chimpanzee. It's going to be teeth and and, and claws, fight, yeah. right? You're going to fight. You're going to be so so that's that sort of aggression. But we're not you know hopefully most of us aren't chimpanzees at this point. You know we're a little today <laughs> we're gorillas. <laughs> and I love silverback and my my some one of my training partners have called me silverback silverback and we call each other that. But um, and that's been going on for a while. Yeah. So it's funny that this is the summit. But um, but for us as humans we're a little bit more nuanced and sophisticated in what we can do. So there are ways of establishing a higher status that don't involve any aggression or, or certainly violence. Mm -hmm. It could be through, you know, going to school and, and getting a better job or improving. There's, there's a million ways that you can increase your status. They've even shown that, you know, that when, when men bid against each other in a charity auction, it increases their testosterone. The competition okay. yeah. between you know five hundred. Do I hear five five fifty six six hundred? That that is provokes and and the outcome of all of it is that money goes to charity. Mm -hmm. This is a good thing. This yeah. is a good social <laughs> pro social behavior. So testosterone can have pro social behaviors just as much as anti social behaviors. And in humans, we really shouldn't use animal data 
to, to, to talk about it. So I think that's one of the reasons why um, testosterone gets a bad rap. Um, we're also kind of, as a, as a society, I think we're moving toward a, a more acceptance of a more non-binary kind of standard as, mm -hmm. as a good thing to be looked at positively. So somebody who is more traditionally masculine you know, for those who are old enough to remember John Wayne, maybe, yeah. or, or something like that, um, that, that that's now looked at as something bad. Mm -hmm. And even experts or, or so-called experts will say it because in 2019, the American Psychological Association, you'd think they would know about psychology, right? A little bit. A little, well, <laughs> maybe not, actually, yeah, because they came maybe out not. with a position paper that said that traditional masculinity is toxic, that, that it's, it's harmful to boys and men. And, you know, when you really think about it, there, you know, certainly anything can be, there are, there are aspects of what men do that's bad, but there's as, aspects of what women do that might be okay. stereotypical behaviors that are bad. And we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So those, those are the reasons I think, you know, more recently, but also going back, I think testosterone being an anabolic steroid mm -hmm. is part of the problem, right? Yeah. So back in the 80s, um, there was increasing uh, views and perspectives on doping in sports. The, the idea that there's some athletes that are out there, maybe they're in the Olympics or in, in football, and they're using anabolic steroids and testosterone being sort of the godfather of, of anabolic steroids, the parent yeah. compound, you know, that um, that that's that's bad for sport. That, that what's going to happen to sports if we let this happen, right? And so hearings were held in Congress, and then in 1988, a Canadian by the name of Ben Johnson, who was a, an Olympic sprinter, wins the gold medal in Seoul, Korea. Yay for the Canadian! Beat the American, yeah. Carl Lewis. Yeah. And guess what happens? He tests positive for Winstrol, mm -hmm. and so suddenly. The sports media goes crazy, and Congress is worried. Well, what will happen if people think that this is just a chemical contest? What's going to happen to sports? So they held more hearings, and in 1990, they passed a law that took testosterone and all other anabolic steroids that they knew of and put it into the same law that deals with cocaine, heroin, marijuana, Vicodin, methamphetamine. Uh, as traditional narcotics and drugs of abuse and made it a Schedule Three controlled substance. And that, that stigma that links testosterone as an anabolic steroid and cheating, mm -hmm. that, that ethical component of it, that it's, it's unethical to use this, has spilled over past sports and I think makes the average guy who you know, is 40 or 50 and is... You know, maybe his, his levels are not what they were before. Um, and certainly research supports that, right? That as we age, you know, after the age of 30, guys' testosterone levels, maybe 1% a year or so, yeah. starts boop, boop, going down. And, and, you know, maybe that's in part why they don't feel like they're 25 anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that Congress ever intended that those people would have restricted access to something that would make them feel better. They're not competing in sports, right? Right, yeah. But that's the effect that that law has had. And I think a lot of men 
worry about that because people who feel that way, it's like peer pressure. When they say something, oh, you know, maybe I, I'll consider testosterone replacement. Their friends, dude, that's cheating. And men don't really talk about these things in groups. So now they're internalizing something. Right. They're told that it's bad. So they're going to suffer, not feel like themselves, not feel as good as they can. And that's a problem for mankind because now you have declining levels. So insurance companies, they're seeing this, they're making the range, this arbitrary range, a lot lower. Right. They're making it harder for guys to obtain testosterone replacement. Right. They're positioning it as something that is almost unreachable unless you literally are, are so low and don't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It's so the awful. levels of a ninety-year-old woman. Yes, yeah. okay. and obviously we know yeah. you know going through insurance is really not. We don't it. need to do that. Yeah, <laughs> preferably not. Yeah. So then, yeah. so guys are like, well, you know, I'm told I'm normal. So they get all the courage in the world to actually go to a doctor, and then they're told you're fine, and they're like, well, I'm not going to resist him. I'm just going to go back to doing right. what I'm doing. And and we were able to educate guys on why going yes. out of pocket and stuff like that is a good thing, yeah. but these social stigmas that you touched on that apply this pressure i want to go back and circle back to the masculinity ones because take a guy who's internalizing feeling awful mm -hmm. and if he goes on trt he is now thought of as somebody who's going to become overly aggressive a very toxic male stuff like that so why is that okay in society for a guy to stay and feel that way because it seems like the world is okay with that because we've also, and when I say we, government has also made it harder for fertility drugs and things like that. Hmm. So it's almost like they're positioning everything as this chemical castration in a way. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's a lot of double standards, I think. Um, you've got testosterone replacement therapy for people who are hypogonadal mm -hmm. and that's kind of you know sort of in a in a gray area in the way the government kind of sees it like you say there's there's a number of crackdowns to try to discourage people from doing it the fda and what was it 2014 or 2015 did a black box warning yeah on testosterone products a black box warning oh my god why why would i take this it's it's warning me it can give me heart attack stroke um, cancer, you know, cancer. I mean, all these bad things right yeah. and and if you really look at the and i'm sure your physician friends and and were part of the silverback summit will will talk about this yeah. but if you look at the underlying evidence the scientific support for those ideas it's pretty thin, right? I yeah. mean, most of what, um, the, really the big takeaway is if you've got low testosterone levels, if you are hypogonadal, you are at higher risk for all sorts of bad stuff, including heart issues, uh, you know, stroke. So uh, absolutely, and, and that message sometimes doesn't get out there the way it should. Um, you know, the government, is, isn't overly fond of, of TRT, at least as expressed through FDA. Um, interestingly, getting back to, to sort of how testosterone and steroids became criminalized, the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, the FDA, 
the American Medical Association, and the National Institute on Drug Abuse all sent witnesses to Congress back in the late 80s to tell Congress, do not do this. Do not make anabolic Why? steroids a controlled substance because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's an apple in the orange crate of the Controlled Substances Act. It doesn't belong here. It's, right. you know, it, it's, it's not addictive in the same way that heroin, nobody's going to be lying in an alley with a needle in their, in their shoulder or glute, you know, because they, they use testosterone. Um, but Congress was so concerned about the impact and ramifications on sport that they said, you know what, thanks, but we're going to do this anyway. And sure enough, that's what they did. And for these 33 years since that happened, that has stigmatized testosterone and anabolic mm -hmm. steroids. And, you know, my practice sometimes means representing people who are accused of either possessing anabolic steroids or very often being underground labs, making it, selling it, selling it on social media, which is oh my God, kind yeah. of like the way it works now. Um, Slide in the DMs. and Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, so a lot of people get arrested sometimes for doing this over the years. I've represented a lot of people and most of them have no other criminal conduct in their lives. They, and they got involved because they used testosterone or steroids at some point and said, hey, this isn't so bad. This isn't as bad as what the media says. I yeah. like this. Um, and maybe because it's not as available um, for some people, maybe age related, like you said, you know, doctors are only going to prescribe it in a, you know, in a narrower and narrower context. And who knows how narrow that can get. And so when you have no legitimate source of supply and you've got a high level of demand, basic economic principles, yeah. black market. So, so that's kind of where it, it, it is in many ways now. And um, for those, and, and if you ask even the typical orthodox endocrinologist about it, they're not going to give you a big thumbs up typically. They're going to say, you know, they're going to go by the, the same sort of standards that, you know, become uh, lower and lower in order to qualify. Um, and I think most endocrinologists don't really know much about testosterone. They're, they're great on estrogen replacement. They're great on thyroid issues mm -hmm. and giving you Synthroid or, or something like that. Diabetes. Um, yeah, diabetes drugs. But, but when it comes to sort of male hormones, that's why I think a lot of the clinics have sprung up and, and become more popularized because you've got doctors who are actually looking at that issue specifically. Oh, yeah. I live in Florida, and there's one every five minutes next to the gas station. Pop right in. Don't know what they sell. Yes, right. you probably might. Some of them might be your clients, so yes. we, we have a lot of those. But I wonder often, too, and I know there's many delivery methods now because you can't patent the hormone, but if it right. didn't come in a needle... Would it still have that same, like, you're doing something wrong attached to it? The needle makes it worse, I think, yeah. you know, whenever you have to use. But yet people inject insulin, and that doesn't have that same doesn't stigma. Doesn't them. Um, so that can't be totally it. I think it's probably more the connection to the cheating, the sports, the, the ethical component of it more than anything else. Do you think that this will ever get better? that perception so I think I probably would have said no <laughs> until <laughs> recently um, because I've had 
you know, many clients through the last 30 years who, some of them very law-abiding people, very respectable people, they get arrested because maybe they ordered some steroids from overseas and it got caught in the mail and mm -hmm. gets delivered to them and they get arrested. And even a misdemeanor conviction can really derail somebody's life. Even if they don't get a day in jail, just a, a criminal conviction has all these collateral consequences that, that F up your life in, in multiple, yes. multiple, multiple, <laughs> multiple ways. So, um, and they'll say to me, is this, you know, ever going to change? You know, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm a bodybuilder. I, I'm, I'm, I believe that uh, this is helping me to look better and feel better. Um, maybe some of it is vanity for, for many of the people I think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, there's a difference between a medical need for testosterone, true hypogonadal right. state, and, you know, yes, I'm, I'm not feeling good. I'm suffering symptoms that are related to that. That's medical, and that that's a kind of a different thing than the cosmetic. Right, and, and that is, look, you know, I don't like the way I look, or maybe I've worked out to the point where I, I can't get any further. I've hit my my genetic, you know, threshold, and, and I I can't get past. So I want to I want to do more, or it's the guy who just wants to get in better shape. Maybe he was in better shape before, and now he's thirty five, and he's going through a divorce and, and he's going to be back on the market and he yeah. wants to look better when he takes his shirt off. And that's sort of the mentality of it. Um, you know, we're a vain culture, obviously, you know, maybe overly so, and, and, and that's fine. But it is interesting that we do celebrate many procedures, including high-risk procedures that are purely for vanity, medical, you know, procedures that are for vanity, that, that we kind of celebrate, you know, people die on liposuction tables. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've seen horror stories from different types of, I mean, breast implants and, and other prosthetics have had horrific results for people. There was a story a few years ago about a guy who went to Mexico. He wanted to get calf implants because he was, oh, look, it's vanity, right? Uh, you know, yeah. and who's really looking at your calves, but you wear a pair of shorts and, and you want them to look yeah. good. And he couldn't afford a U.S. doctor. He went to Mexico. It didn't do, didn't work well. Both got infected and he was mm. a double amputee. So horrific. Wow. So, but yet he would be disallowed if he said, you know what? If he said to his doctor, I want to get bigger calves and, and I want to get bigger muscles. Will you prescribe me, you know, a course, a cycle of anabolic steroids and, and I'll, I'll train my calves really hard and that'll give me some... The doctor will throw them out of the office because it's, it's a felony for the doctor to prescribe it. So we do allow, you know, we're a Botox and liposuction society oh, yes, at this point. And, you know, that nobody seems to have an issue with that, you know. Could you imagine saying to a woman, you know, no, you can't have breast implants. You know, that's, that's you know, really be happy the way you are, which is really what men are told if they see a doctor yeah. about an anabolic steroid and they course. get denied that of course I, I love that you brought that up because it it I made a post once a few weeks ago talking about people going after guys especially a lot of my clients who achieve fantastic transformations but they see it as like this overnight success type of deal and guys have been lifting for a while just like that just like that yeah, yeah. it happens because they think Oh, they go on TRT and overnight they turn into this muscular physique that they've wanted their Doesn't entire life. Like that. I wish. <laughs> we all wish. We're all trying, you know, like putting the time in. Oh the my trenches. gosh. Yes. So 
If a guy goes on TRT, then mm -hmm. if that's cheating, how is going on something like semaglutide not? Because right. people run sure. so fast to get that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Both are prescription. Both, one is actually something that's necessary in the hormone. We don't produce semaglutide. No, we don't have semaglutide deficiencies. <laughs> like, but it's okay to do that because you refuse to actually do hard things and go lift weights yeah. and actually diet and take care of yourself. So you can take this injection and lose weight and not do jack shit. That's okay. Right. But right. taking testosterone is not. Yeah, it's, it's a huge double standard. You know, um, there are these, you know, how we see things and compartmentalize things to see in one context, it's perfectly fine. And in another, it's not, mm -hmm. you know, I did a column a number of years ago about, I don't, know, I don't know how into Marvel comics you are, but Steve Rogers, Captain America, mm -hmm. right? That came out in like 1940 is when Captain America started. And it was right after, it was in, in the throes of, you know, World War II, and you've got, you know, the Nazi threat in Germany. Yep. And, um, and so Steve Rogers is this skinny kid from Brooklyn who gets turned down. They won't take him in the army because he's too frail. He's too skinny. He's a mess. He's this little wimpy guy. And so they say, well, here's what we'll do, though. We'll put you in this special program. And the special program is injecting him with a serum hmm. that creates huge, powerful muscles. And suddenly he's totally jacked. And, you know, it's not coincidence that this serum and, and this whole story was within three or four years of the discovery of testosterone as a, that, that's when it was first synthesized by scientists was in 1935 mm, and right. so hmm is there a connection <laughs> here i think not and so yes yeah, so so we've got this serum and, and the serum is actually even more powerful than steroids i guess because he doesn't even have to train he just you just inject him with it and suddenly he's his muscles are growing and it, it's so funny that you know nobody's really looked at it in that context that wait a minute captain america is the first juice head <laughs> and, and and yet he's a hero we're celebrating this guy's unnatural synthetic chemically induced muscles because he's fighting hitler and he actually punches hitler in the face and i think the first the first comic he he, he punches hitler in the face so because in that context it's okay he's a hero but yet anybody who, like you say, just says, you know what? I want to do a cycle of gear so that I look better for me. You know, you want to do your Botox. You want to do, you know, yeah. your liposuction. You, that's all fine. This is what I want to do. Well, unfortunately, there's only one criminal. And it's that guy who's, who, by our, our laws, is made a criminal. So are the superheroes now toxic? <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a superhero called Toxic Avenger. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. No. Well, uh, it was the Toxic Avenger was the um, the first superhero from New Jersey who fell on a, a vat of toxic waste and came out with these various superpowers. Um, I was the lead villain in um, a series of those movies. Oh, that's oh, right. Yes. I've seen you post on that. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I was the villain in the Toxic. Do you have the costume? 
I have pieces of it somewhere. You know, I, I played two roles. I, I played like a, an evil corporate chairman who did terrible, terrible things. And then I reveal myself in Toxic Avenger 3 to be actually the devil incarnate. <laughs> and I rip open my own stomach and I climb out and, you know, uh, I'm wearing this, this form-fitted latex suit that was made out of a full body cast, including of my head, yeah. where like the two straws to breathe until you know <laughs> it, it solidifies. Um, but um, but it, it was a fun movie, and and I I've done a number of the skill set that's shared between trial lawyer and actor are are similar. Yeah, you know you're performing, you're mm-hmm. you know you you got to be able to stand up in front of people, feel comfortable, persuade, make it real for them. Um, I had a tiny, tiny little walk-on in the first season of The Sopranos uh, as a cop in the first season. So just to be even a speck on that, on the map of that incredible series was, you know, very special to me. But, um, but yeah, I think some of the best trial lawyers have either a theatrical background or, and I've done a lot of theater too, I was a theater minor, mm-hmm. but, but, um, but are able to kind of synthesize the the skill set that you get out of out of stage performance and film performance and and inject it into what you do in a courtroom. That yeah, that and I would think you have to have some level of confidence and optimal testosterone to perform in the way that you want. Well, it's funny you say that. So James Dabbs was a um, probably the the father of testosterone research mm-hmm. and he just he looked into everything often from a occupational standpoint so he was trying to figure out testosterone levels in different occupations um, and one of the highest testosterone levels uh, occupationally uh, for folks was is actors actors mm. male actors have very and, and female tend to have higher testosterone levels and it may be part because if you have if you're a more confident person to begin with you may gravitate to that if you and and confidence is certainly linked to testosterone levels if you're not very confident you have lower testosterone levels you're probably not going to be going into a field where you are just rejected over and over and over (laughs) the best case is that somebody won't reject you and you go from one state of unemployment to the next because every time you finish a gig okay now i have to find a job and so um so it may also be that those challenges because testosterone does increase with a challenge the challenge hypothesis is the idea that testosterone levels rise to meet a challenge whatever Mm -hmm. that challenge is and the challenge could be finding a new job (laughs) for a lot of people in that field trial lawyers also have so i i kind of have the high testosterone uh affiliation on on both of my occupational aspects um trial lawyers he found have higher levels of testosterone on that and these are all averages right but have higher average testosterone levels than real estate lawyers or contract lawyers Interesting. those who are sitting at a desk yeah. working away but not needing to get up there not needing to face an, an adversary um which which i think is is healthy and and good for for everybody you know we're living in a a time when we're we're kind of thinking that we need to avoid stress we need to avoid any kind of uh 
you know, problem, that we need to be in a safe space, and if we're confronted with something that is outside the postage stamp of our experience, then we need to retreat to a protected cocoon where we're safe. And I, you know, that book that, that I co-wrote a while back, Alpha Male Challenge, was kind of a response to that and the idea that the only way you really grow and build your own resilience and your ability to to overcome challenges is to face challenges. If you never face a challenge, you know, I always say nothing grows in a safe space. No. Nothing will ever grow there if you stay so there. True. So the more you can, you know, years ago I, um, I, I was feeling that I was getting a little uncomfortable with heights. Um, and I remember being up on my roof doing some work or something and I was like, for the first time, I'm like, wow, I, I got a queasy feeling up here. Mm. This isn't cool. So what do you do? So uh, one option is never go on a roof again. Avoid all exposure to any sort of heights. So I did, being me, I did the opposite. So <laughs> I took skydiving lessons. Of course. And so the first time, and it, it was terrifying, clearly. The first time you <laughs> jump, you throw yourself out of a moving airplane is it, you know, you, it takes a few seconds for your brain to process what did I just do? <laughs> you know, you, I just, you're looking down three miles of empty air and you're just gonna throw yourself into that abyss. Um, but once you do it, and, and I would recommend everybody do it, yeah. I highly recommend it, because, and the, the more fearful you are of doing it, the more you get out of it, because you realize, wow, I thought I could never do that. I, I was terrified to do that. I never imagined I could do that. And I did it. What else can I do? Mm -hmm. What other things am I, are, am I believing that I'm held back from doing that I can do? And so it, it really unlocks potential in a great way. Skydive or anything, whenever you can get out of your comfort zone, break free from that comfort zone and, and do, do what scares you. That's, that's, I think, one of the best ways of growing. I love that. Like, I try to get that across to my clients in fitness because there's certain approaches to training where you leave reps in the tank and stuff like that. And I'm like, how about if people don't know what failure actually is, why don't we just go there? And they tend to stop when it starts to hurt or get uncomfortable. Right. And right. you know how, like, the older days of training in dirty gyms, with people around you yelling obscenities that nobody could say in public at all. My world for many years. Yeah, yeah. I love that world. If you do any of, I mean, there's no chalk allowed in gyms, you know, like, yeah. so getting guys, mostly I work with guys, getting guys to understand how to train hard right. and to be uncomfortable right. and it's okay if it hurts. I never anticipated it as like a thing to address. You know? Yeah, but the society is kind of moving in that direction where mm -hmm. you should never be uncomfortable. You know, report yeah. as soon as you're uncomfortable, you need to you need to report it. You know, be uncomfortable. Yeah. Uncomfortable is a great place to be. You should never be too comfortable because you're never going to get anywhere when you're comfortable. There's right. got to be you know there's got to be a catalyst for action. You know, nobody goes to the gym because they're comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not going to the gym. You're just going to stay home and and you know lie on the couch. It's yeah. if you got to be uncomfortable with something physically or, or even uncomfortable about yourself. You know, I, I don't like the way I look. I don't like having, you know, a 50-inch waist. 
And so, you know, I'm going to I'm going to change that. I'm going to use my discomfort to make me to be the catalyst for me to improve in one way or another. If you're on if you're not uncomfortable, you're not changing and you're not improving. I think that's probably why cold plunges are popular now. Like people are trying to go that route and right. create environments where there is discomfort. It's a counter movement to it. Yeah. Yeah. And Which I'm is just great. like, okay, that's great. Also, can we duplicate this in the gym? Right. You know, testosterone is a winning hormone. That will help your drive in the gym. It will help your success in life. I mean, do you feel your clients are more successful in business and in their life if they have more optimal levels? 100%. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, and just even just resistance training, you know, just, just yeah. anything that makes you more muscular is going to make you more confident, make you have a, a greater feeling of competence. I always say I'm, I'm a better lawyer for having been a competitive bodybuilder. Absolutely. No question about it. Because you learn that lessons, lessons of discipline, sacrifice. You've got to give huge sacrifices when everybody else is is eating whatever they want and you're you know, you're, you're denying your it with your old prepped meal, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and just and, and perseverance. And overcoming obstacles. Okay, yeah, you know, I, I my, my tricep hurts, or, or maybe I maybe there's a little minor tear in a muscle, or you know, whatever it is that your limitations are, you have to find ways. I'm going to work around that, and I'm mm-hmm. going to continue this journey, notwithstanding that. And when you learn those lessons, you can apply those lessons to anything in your life. You know, yes. so I think get in the gym, train as hard as you can. Learn the lessons of discipline and perseverance and patience. You know, nobody developed a 20 inch arm since, uh, since Tuesday, right? I mean, yeah. it takes, you've got to, bodybuilding is such a beautiful thing because you, you have to understand that you're not going to see the fruits of the labor for a long time. It, mm-hmm. it, you've got to have patience. So the people who go into the gym, and like you say, they train to failure, they're, they have delayed onset muscle soreness. And oh my God, my arms are killing me. And they don't go back because they don't really see any progress yet. You know, you've got you've to have them toe the line and, and be patient because over the span of weeks and the weeks become months and the months become years, there's this transformation that occurs that's, that's just amazing. It's beautiful to watch and, and the confidence level, you know, goes up with people and, and everything. And when, when you walk into a room with a physique such as yours, or yours, immediately command respect. Yeah, so I, I you know, I, I, people ask me about that. So yeah, I'm, I'm usually the bigger, more muscular gorilla in the courtroom, you Not know. Today. I, although, yeah, the courtroom, yeah. There you go. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, I never use it in a way that is in your face or I don't, you know, I, I find that. The physicality is there, mm-hmm. and it's it's un, it's implicit, you know. You the potential for mayhem that exists <laughs> by virtue of the physique that you bring to the table, I I think says it all. And I actually, I I go overboard to be the nicest guy in the courtroom, the most respectful person to everybody. Just that's me as a person, anyway. Yeah. But but I find that that defies the expectations I suppose based on the physicality yeah and the combination becomes this this wonderfully pleasant persona with this terrifying underlying threat 
that I, I think is is very effective. And it also gives you you feel confident when when you're in shape, when you feel good, when you're you know you fill out the suit. You know mm -hmm. my my tailors are not as happy with me. <laughs> I can you imagine. Know, I drive, you know, but but I've got a very good custom tailor. <laughs> I but, love when guys complain. <laughs> I gotta get my suit taken out again, or I gotta get new clothes. Yeah. Like oh sorry, not sorry. You asked for it. Yeah. And, and honestly, like you said, that knowing the discipline, like if someone said they have competed or they competed in the past, all right, cool, they get it. Yes. Like there's a, just yeah. a mutual respect and understanding for what that person is capable You're of. You're part of the tribe. Because they've shown. Yeah. Yeah, the proficiency. And so that leads me to looking a certain way. Now that seems to be where if you have visible muscle of any kind, it feeds a narrative and that narrative of a man with muscles is not a positive one in our society lately. Right. And the younger coaches that I talk to are kind of lost as to their role in society. How do they communicate with a woman? If they compliment me, is that okay? They don't have the confidence maybe to compliment me. So they're kind of like in this no man's land now where I'm being told not to act how I naturally should. Right. But... I'm also told to man up and it's creating a lot of confusion yeah. and a lot of anxiety yeah. for men. I think the more traditional man up has been dialed down to a degree and this, you know, where, what do I do? Who am I? How do I act with women? How do I act with other men is, has sort of replaced it. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, men are in, in kind of a weird place, you know, it, it's hard to know as, as this very rapid state of change has been occurring in society um and and part of it is you know women have become more empowered than in the traditional patriarchal you right. know society that we once were and that's a good thing you yeah. know uh, women coming to uh, their own actually more law students now are female than male so mm. we're going to soon have many more female lawyers in the workplace than than male lawyers um, and, and all of that is great, you know, um, but we can't lose, you know, what what men should be and, and how men should act. And so um, it is a confusing time. Um, when I went to law school, I was like the I'd been competing in bodybuilding before that. And I was really the only there was one female law, female law student who was also in shape. We wound up writing a fitness column together oh, in, that's in the funny. in the <laughs> from the law school. <laughs> but uh, but nobody really looked like me. Yeah. And um, and there were certain immediate um, preconceived notions about mm -hmm. who I was that that I wasn't smart, mm -hmm. that I'd probably fail out of law school, that I was a big meathead. And so, me being me, rather than kind of trying to convince them otherwise, I doubled down. So I wore the, the hat on backwards. <laughs> I wore the Zuba pants. That's you know, amazing. I wore like this the boat neck T Michael everywhere. Yes. You know, fanny back pack. in the day. You I don't know if I ever pack. went to the fanny pack. Oh, man. I don't know if I did the fanny pack. <laughs> Even I had the. I was able to resist that. But but so um, rather than than kind of you know, try to refute their, their narrative. And, and I, I figured, look, I was one of the few there, if not the only one there, who was on a full academic scholarship. So mm. I didn't pay anything for law school because 
You're actually smart as a meathead. So, you know, and I made Laura View on the first year, which is, you know, also accolades. So, so, you know, so they they were like, wow, what is this? You know, uh, (laughs) unicorn (laughs) doubling down on meathead. I love that. But, um, but yeah, that's, there are stereotypical ideas. Well, it's okay to make fun of muscular men, right? Remember the, there was a a chain of fitness uh, centers that would do commercials on television where they, the whole commercial was just lampooning muscular men Mm -hmm. you know throwing them out of the gym and that they were stupid and they picked things up and put them down and all of that oh yeah you know trying to sound mocking arnold you know one of the cool things i'll I'll tell you this one of the cool things that um that came with sort of me taking me being a kid who was into bodybuilding into a lawyer who deals with a lot of testosterone and bodybuilding and fitness issues was i've gotten to spend some time with arnold schwarzenegger Mm. And um, the first time that I met him, I mean, I, I, was, I was a kid when he was competing. So I was looking up to him from you know, yeah. when I was young. And so at the Arnold Classic in 2002, so we're talking 21 years ago, um, it was arranged for me to meet him back you know, in, a, in a private meeting. And I was, my palms were sweating, I was so nervous. <laughs> And so suddenly the, the day comes and, and, you know, the moment is there and uh, he comes walking out and there he is, larger than life. I'm, I'm looking at him and he walks up to me and I, I'm standing there and he puts out his hand and somebody's introducing says, Arnold Schwarzenegger, meet Rick Collins. And I do an impression of him. <laughs> oh my God, that, you did? That, I don't know, Ali, it just... It just bubbled out. I, you know, I, That's in, all that the, came out? In the, the in the, and I put out my hand, and I just went, it's super fantastic to meet you. And his eyes got wide. And I, as soon as I said it, I'm like, I can't believe I just did this. What is, you know, what is going to happen? What happens in this moment? And he laughed. He's like, you do an impression of me. I'm like, yeah. He goes, this is good. And we laughed. And I once got to spend a whole afternoon with him in his office in, in Santa Monica uh, with a, a, regarding professional bodybuilding issues. And so, um, yeah, I, I, we did, my firm did work for, for Sylvester Stallone's company for a while when he had a nutrition company. So for me, it's, it's just been an unbelievable great journey. So cool. I love that. Oh my gosh, Arnold doing impression. <laughs> so with, with like this, you know, social outlook of guys being muscular and this is a toxic masculinity concept. So so now we're taking the healthy physique and all of a sudden that is bad. So there is, you know, the whole um, shift in the gender fluidity and the dysphoria and stuff like that regarding testosterone because it seems that the treatment in TRT is more easily accessible for women who would want to transition. Now, why is that okay? And if a guy wants to become more of himself hmm. as a man, that is viewed as not okay. So, Few, a couple of years ago, um, I co-authored a piece that was published in a, in a journal of addiction on these issues of, of mm-hmm. drug policy. And that is, you know, comparing, contrasting, and examining this issue. So there's two separate 
disorders under the DSM-5, considered mental health disorders. One is called gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. and that basically means, hey, I've, I'm born in the wrong body. I've been born as in a female body, but I identify as male. And the other is somewhat also a, a body image issue, and it's muscle dysmorphia. And what that means is I look in the mirror, I'm 240 pounds of shredded beef, and I see this Steve Rogers before he got the seal. <laughs> I see this little skinny little kid skinny from, from Brooklyn who, who can't get in the army. Yeah. So both are, are disconnects between self-image and phenotype, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, what, what we show outwardly. So I examined with, with two colleagues this issue of how, and, and I'm not saying they're exactly the same, right. certainly, but, but they are both mental disorders according to DSM-5. Um, not your opinion? Not necessarily an opinion of anybody right. at this point, but the opinion of the experts in psychology exactly. anyway. And I think that there are many who don't consider it that way. And I think it was Norway or Denmark that is the first country that has removed it from their classification oh, really? of disorders. Uh, and then that may happen. Um, but it's necessary to be a disorder for one purpose, and that is that testosterone is a controlled substance. And the only way that you can prescribe it is for a medical purpose, mm -hmm. not for a cosmetic purpose. And so if gender dysphoria were deemed to no longer be something that required medical intervention, if it was just this cosmetic choice, you wouldn't be able to prescribe the testosterone. So. It is customary for doctors now to prescribe testosterone to somebody who either is assigned female at birth and is looking to become a male, or even assigned female at birth and is looking to be more uh, masculine along a non-binary gender variant right. spectrum, not even to become a male. And that's perfectly okay within the context of medical ethics and the law because it's for a medical purpose. Somebody with, gender, with, with muscle dysmorphia, on the other hand, um, who also is looking and saying, look, you know, I would feel more comfortable at 240 <laughs> than I am at 150. Yeah. And, you know, I would like to feel better sooner. And so I would like to use a course of anabolic steroids or testosterone to, in addition to my training and my nutrition and all the other things that I'm willing to do, um, that person not only doesn't get the testosterone prescription, but is driven to the black market if he wants it. And if the doctor did prescribe it, well, that would be a felony and the doctor would be facing jail and the possession of the testosterone would not be pursuant to a lawful prescription, so he would also be in violation of the criminal law. <laughs> so, and let me understand the clarification here. And, and, and you know, I'm, again, I'm not saying that they should be treated equally, right. that either is a disorder necessarily. I, I think we, we tend to over-pathologize all sorts of behaviors, but, but, you know, and even if they're not 
certainly not the same, is the disparity where one is certainly very freely and understood and maybe even celebrated, and the other you go to prison for, is that difference in treatment too wide a difference? Is that too big a gap of policy? Uh, I don't know, and, and we've questioned that. We're probably the only ones who, who raised that issue. I don't think anybody ever really thought about, other than you here, you know, um, you know, how is, how is it, if, if you're not happy with your body, and, and some people can, follow, can use medical technology to feel better about themselves, why shouldn't other people? And it brings it back to people who are overweight are not happy and they're getting semaglutide. That's okay. Right. But now this isn't. And if a woman wants to transition or, as you said, become more masculine, those, those do end up and result in cosmetic changes. Sure. So that cosmetic change is okay, but then again, more muscularity. And we both know that it doesn't mean you inject and explode into muscles. You do unlike, have to go to the gym. Unlike Steve, unlike Steve yeah. Rogers. Unless you're Steve Rogers. Yeah. So yes. that's where it, it's tough to understand. Yeah. You know? No, um, that's for sure. Uh, and it's interesting because when you said, looping back, when you, when you asked before, will things ever change mm -hmm. in terms of the classification of testosterone, um, the, the glimmer of hope that there might be some reduced restrictions on testosterone is coming from the trans community because the trans community has raised the issue of complaint that the classification of testosterone as a controlled substance restricts access, creates all sorts of red tape, you know, does all these things that make it difficult for, or inconvenient or in some cases impossible for people assigned female at birth to get it in order to transition. And two U.S. senators have now written a letter to the Biden administration urging that testosterone be declassified because of its effect on the trans community. Not on the muscle dysmorphia, not on the hypogonadal men, not on the, the 4 million American men or more who are on testosterone replacement. It's all fine for them. Now, um, but on, on the trans community, it, it's uh, unduly um, restrictive and access is denied. It's fascinating. It's also a world that I've not really navigated. And I also, I'm not comfortable because I feel... No matter what you say, it's the wrong thing. Yes. And I don't like me being made to feel that way because well, I don't we can know both what be, the right thing we is. We can both be canceled for this conversation <laughs> in and of itself. Exactly. You know? And, and e even though I think I speak for both of us when I say everybody should feel happy. About of course. It. Nobody should be discriminated against based on what they do, who they love, any other aspect of it. Um, but... Um, but just talking about some of these sensitive issues on one side or another is gonna become a lightning rod for criticism. And that's unfortunate. I think the only way that we're ever going to, to move forward as a society and maybe unify and find some areas of compromise and, and unity as a nation is, is if we talk about these things and without being afraid yeah. of being called a name or, you know, being called out as, as you know, a bad person. Uh, yes, because 
understanding how to navigate in a way that I guess as a society we can move forward without that fear. And we're frankly just trying to basically advocate for men to feel how they should right. as a man. But also, like you alluded to before, having low testosterone, you can put yourself in a position of massive issues as you get older. Right. No. All Without the things. Yeah. yeah. The, and, the things guys get told are going to happen because of testosterone, like heart attacks, cancer, all that stuff, happen because of low testosterone. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but it, not only does a man's individual testosterone go down year by year after age 30, but as a society, generationally, our average testosterone levels are going down. There was a study it's where... Plummeting. Plummeting. <laughs> what they found was, you know, basically our grandfathers had higher testosterone levels yep. than our fathers, and our fathers have higher than, on average, higher than us. And we're seeing this, this dramatic decrease in the reasons, you know, certainly obesity is a factor, lack of exercise, you know, all of those things. You know, nobody, nobody as much as cuts their lawn anymore, you know, let alone go out and, you know, hunt for, for food. You, yeah, know, you can where, do it from your phone. Right. You can wear diapers and press buttons. You don't have, you to, have leave to leave your couch. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's certainly part of it. Um, endocrine disruptors and other, you know, uh, environmental toxins are, are certainly another part of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th there's also, as a society, we're, we're not really valuing a higher testosterone individual anymore. We're, we're valuing a more, you know, everybody kind of the same brought to yeah. sort of this lower level you know even the, the concept of alpha male it's canceled right <laughs> you know and it's funny because we wrote the book alpha male challenge and the idea of it was alpha male the concept was that it, it's somebody who's at their top of their game being yeah. their very best without being an asshole yeah that's the idea um and and it's funny because a lot of women took the program of our book and and reached out to me and said you know, when are you going to come out with an alpha female challenge? But, you know, in the meantime, this book is great. I'm following the program and I'm, I'm feeling great and I'm, you know, I'm gaining muscle. And, and even for women, obviously, building muscle and, and bones, bones yeah. strong bones over the aging process is important. But it's equally for men as well. And the amount of muscle mass that we hold as men as we get older is huge for our overall health and well-being. So, Very much so, you know, if it's whether it's testosterone um, or just you know, heavy resistance training as we age or a combination of both, it's, it's really more of the fountain of youth than, than anything else. There, there's been a lot of like the media says, you know, women are into dad bods or whatever that is. And then there's the anti dad bod movement and no one really knows the answer. And so some women, I think, have said like, well, I don't want a guy who's super shredded because they feel threatened. Right. Sure. And then they prefer the. I mean, honestly, I don't care who you prefer, what you prefer. Like there's no judgment. But when the shaming doesn't go both ways, then right. I I feel it's kind of not fair. Yeah. And I actually did a poll on my Instagram for women asking, do you still appreciate chivalry? And it was like 80%. And right. it was questions directed at the to toxic masculinity movement. Now, 
my audience is 70% men. Right. So I had to make, make sure I was direct women only because mm-hmm. the guys would totally mm-hmm. click. Um, but as somebody who works with primarily men yet is a woman, I feel that there's things that I can get away with more than if it were a guy. 100%. So yes. I don't mind going at this topic the way that I do because I think I can represent both sides. But I, I will say, talking to women, they do prefer a man to take charge, take the lead, help make decisions, take decisive action when yes. it comes to dating, when it comes to relationships and stuff like that. And that's not what is reflected in the media. No, quite the opposite. And, and even corporate entities have kind of accepted this. There's a, there's a mall near me. And, and whenever I walk past this one store, it's got like a T-shirt. It's a men's store. It's got a T-shirt with a mannequin with a huge belly, like oh, overhanging yeah. his, his shorts, you know. And it's like celebrating this sort of dad bod is sort of the new, the new standard. Um, one of the reasons, one of the you know primary reasons I had written Alpha Male Challenge uh, was I had read, read an article. I don't remember what magazine it was in. But the title was, Why I Left My Beta Husband. <laughs> and I remember reading it. It was just an, an eye-opening. It was, I had already been looking at the decline in testosterone levels yeah. uh, generationally, as well as you know, all of these other societal, cultural changes that were sort of devaluing men, devaluing traditional masculinity. Um, but that was like, wow, okay, so this is a woman's perspective. And... She said, look, I, I married him and he gave me everything that, that I wanted. He was, support, the word supportive was, I guess, the, the most positive attribute. Mm. Um, he, he was home with the, he stayed home with the baby. She was able to go out and, you know, work and, and advance her career. And she was very career minded. And at some point, she began to see him no longer in a sexual way, but sort of as this supportive beta male mm-hmm. um, that no longer really was attractive to her. And it was, she was somewhat apologetic about this idea that, you know, she was going to leave him when he gave, he did everything that she asked, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't really what she wanted. Yeah. And she wound up finding a, a different guy, you know, got divorced. And the, and the new guy was, was more of, a an equal partner more of somebody who was more assertive and obviously she was probably a a high testosterone woman and when we talk about testosterone obviously women you know women have higher testosterone women are probably more assertive than lower testosterone women just like with men but but she had found somebody who challenged her and who was who probably had those attributes of chivalry and and protectiveness Mm -hmm. and those sort of traditional, you know, that, that some would describe as patriarchal and, and you know, would, would attack. And maybe the media is making more of that. But when you really ask women, um, I think you're right. I, I think the, the feedback is we don't want these, you know, soft, you know, there was a term metrosexual that came out, you know, a while back. And, and that, that fell off. And it actually, that was just the beginning of, of the sort of descent from traditional masculinity yeah. into a more non-binary standard where, you know, a, a manly man is to be mocked. 
and and attacked and you know um and and sort of you know uh, more of the soy boy is yeah the, you know the better standard yeah it, it, i like that we're talking about this because it, i didn't i didn't know we were going to go here but uh, <laughs> but here we are here we are i, I do want to talk a little bit about the dea rule um because i think that you know that's gotten some some publicity lately and and we can talk about what they're proposing but this is i think hopefully this is of interest to some of the folks who are uh, attending the silverback summit i think it is because i hear from my girlfriends who you know i need a guy who he i just don't want to decide where we're eating why can't he decide where we're eating <laughs> that type of thing take charge and lead yeah. yet they're very they're they're more alpha driven i would say similar to myself and that's a whole separate issue is right. the masculine feminine energy right but i hear from both sides of like the dating stuff so right. I, I don't position myself as a dating expert by any means but these are conversations i have with clients right. and socially it is a topic that does not get talked about enough or it gets talked about like you know with whispers and right. stuff like that because yeah. people are afraid people are afraid people yeah. you know don't want to say the wrong thing and suddenly have it misinterpreted and they're canceled. Yes, exactly. So, which So please don't cancel us. Yeah, please um, don't. <laughs> There'll be no actual in-person well, summit if you yeah, cancel me. So. That's right. So, <laughs> so that's fun. But so with the DEA thing, I think because yeah. um, that's so fresh right yes. now, if you can kind of just give a very brief overview of what the issue is for those who may not really know because okay. they're either not on TRT or just haven't paid attention and where we're at with that. Okay, so the DEA Drug Enforcement Administration um, has just issued a rule last month. It's a proposed rule. It's not in effect yet. Uh, they kind of floated it out there for commentary from people. And what it says is that uh, there are going to be some restrictions on controlled substance prescribing that have not existed for the last three years. Mm. And it's essentially um, a an amendment or um, an enforcement uh, angle on a law that was enacted in 2008. And that was a law that went into effect that basically said that if you go online and you want to get a prescription for a controlled substance, that you got to first see the doctor. You can't just do this over the internet. And the reason that they did it was because there was this 17-year-old kid who went online found a rogue pharmacy or a doctor that sent him a bunch of Vicodin. He took the Vicodin, he overdosed, he died. Mm. And so Congress said, we can't have that happen. We've got to come up with a way of protecting um, people from you know, these, these websites that just basically are pill pushers. Yeah. So they en en enacted this law, went into effect in 2008. It was focused on Vicodin. It was focused on painkillers, on opiates, but because testosterone is an anabolic steroid and a Schedule three controlled substance, it gets lumped right in. So what we have now as of 2008 was you couldn't have a, a if you wanted to do a prescription for testosterone via telemedicine, you first had to see the doctor. Right. There was an exception that was in that law that said if there's a national health emergency, then we'll, we'll put it on ice. You know, we'll, we'll wait on that. 2020, you know, um, in 2020, uh, there was a national health emergency that started. And so the DEA, which enforces this law, 
basically said we're not gonna we're not gonna go after you know people are told to stay home they're not leaving their houses hard to see doctors so for the length of this national health emergency we're not going to enforce it the biden administration has uh, announced that the national health emergency will end on may 11th and so as of may 11th the question is well what happens mm -hmm. do we go back to having to see your doctor prior to getting the prescription so DEA has kind of come up with this proposed idea that you wouldn't have to see your doctor before, but you would have to see the doctor within 30 days of the prescription, okay? okay. And this is only if you've never seen the doctor. Right. If you've ever seen the doctor, none of this applies to you. But if you've never seen the doctor and you get a new prescription, it's gotta be 30 days. Well, what happened if you got the prescription during this national health emergency do you now have to see the doctor within 30 days? No, you've got six months grace period in okay. which to see that doctor. So does that mean that for some people, they're gonna have to get a cheap airline flight and go to Florida or somewhere, wherever their clinic is? Yes, there's also an option that allows the patient to use a local doctor. So if, if you're in Ohio and, and you meet with a DEA licensed Ohio doctor, that and you do sort of a zoom call with the florida practitioner that 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 can be sort of a, a substitute for oh, seeing the florida okay. doctor so i don't know there might be some doctors the, the guy in ohio is gonna have to go along with all of this it's, it's a big pain there's no it question is, yeah. and is it really necessary for a trt prescription i could see maybe for vicodin maybe we do want some safeguards for right. you know do you really need this prescription or are you just an addict? Maybe have some doctor be able to eyeball you. For TRT, probably doesn't really apply much, but I have heard some social media influencers claiming that what this proposed rule says is that you'll need to see your doctor every 30 days for the rest of your life. And that's nonsense, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's also nonsense that this is the government's way of cracking down on TRT. Yeah. This really isn't about TRT. It's really about Vicodin and you know opiates. But unfortunately, because of the controlled status of T, it gets lumped into this. So I think there are people who are writing to the DEA trying to uncouple TRT from this or to get mm -hmm. some more leniency. It, it's not in effect yet. Mm -hmm. But you know, I guess my my just message is. It's not what you may have heard on, you know, social media um, and anybody who kind of I'll be following this. Anybody who wants to keep track of it can certainly follow me on Instagram um, or other. So I tweet as well. Um, so anywhere on social media, Rick Collins, ESQ, I'm, I'm easy to find. Yeah, you've been posting a lot of the interviews that have come up and gone through that and. I'm sure the practitioners themselves are scared as to what's going to happen, too, if they have to change their practice. They may need to change their model because if they started during this health emergency time where they didn't have to worry about ever actually seeing anybody ever, well, that is going to change. Somebody, somebody's going to have to see the patient, whether it's you know the practitioner in, at the clinic or some affiliation with another physician. Awesome. So we just basically wait and see what happens. Yeah. May just, 11th is the day. So, you know, just follow me and I'll, I'll 
keep the word going and, and give the information as it, as it comes forward. And if somebody wants to consult with you, is that the same place that they would go? So you, I'm, I'm so easy to find Allie. So, <laughs> uh, too easy maybe. Well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go on the web. It's rickcollins.com, steroidlaw.com. I started way, way back before I wrote my first book, Legal Muscle. Um, Instagram is probably where I'm most active lately with Rick Collins ESQ. Um, I also tweet at the same handle. Some people follow me on LinkedIn, but I'm pretty easy to find. And um, my email address is, is, you can email me through the websites. And um, cool. I do consult with people regularly, whether it's clinics or um, I get a lot of calls from people. Hey, I, I, I just um, ordered a package and it looks like the, you know, the, the feds have seized it. Um, what, what do I do now? <laughs> so I get like those. And anybody, if you're in sort of the underground anabolic steroid world, um, either as a, a user or as a you know, underground lab or whatever, and something goes awry, Call yeah. you. Yeah, I, I, I think you already know to do that probably because <laughs> I get enough of those calls. Um, and I and I think you could you could look at some of my, my lawyer reviews. I, I work my butt off for my clients. I love what I do. Um, I think that I have this unicornish, you know, unique skill set that enables me to to do things that maybe other lawyers wouldn't be able to do for people. Um, I'm blessed to be able to do it, and um, and I thank you for giving me the time for this interview. Uh, this was awesome. So all the details that Rick just mentioned will be on the uh, Silverback webpage, and he will also be a speaker at the in-person Silverback Summit this November in Austin, Texas. So stay tuned for that. There we go. Mine's bigger. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs>